This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Thank you, Kevin and Lisa. Kevin, thanks for pointing out uh, all the malfunctions for service. That's exactly what you want when people walk in second service. Uh, but really, uh, they're doing great work in leading this team. And do pray. I want to reiterate what Lisa said about Tuesday. Um, that's a, it's sort of an important meeting as we meet again with the architect to work through um, the plan, initial plans. I mean, this, we're still early stages here, but um, pray for that. It's 10 o'clock. So even at 10 o'clock, just set a reminder, pray for that time. Um, that there would be real guidance uh, during the meeting. We I've been really happy with our architects and our builder, and they love Christ Community too. There's a Leewood family and a Latha family involved there. So it's, it's been a fun thing to see God use uh, the skill and the expertise of people in our church to help uh, our campus kind of move forward. So pray for that time. Um, thank you, Kevin Oiso. We appreciate the update. My name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and you'll notice Tim, uh, Tim and Missy are not here this morning because of good news. Eden was born uh, on Friday. Actually, I texted M Misty to see if I could share pictures, and she said absolutely. So um, I, the next one is even better. Oh, yeah. So alert. So beautiful. Um, Misty said that you should just see Tim with her. I mean, he's like, I, that guy didn't know what, what he's in for at all uh, with a baby girl. So uh, so I am thrilled to open God's word uh, with you this morning, but as we always do, let's pause before we jump in uh, to scripture and, and ask for God's prayer and guidance along the way. So would you pray with me? God, we are grateful that, um, that you, you are Lord of all, that there is nothing that we can be walking through, that we can be facing uh, whatever storm it is that we came in this morning, it's going on around us, uh, that we cannot at the same time say you are Lord of all. You are the cornerstone around which we can build our entire life. Uh, I'm just thankful for that truth and grateful for this community of people that can sing those types of things over one another, that we can be reminded of your lordship for us. And as we open... Uh, your word this morning, where I say my own things, I pray they would fall away, be forgotten, but where I speak after you, where I speak your word after you, would you do the work that only you can do in changing our hearts and minds to be more like your son, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's finally spring, like officially spring, which does not mean, does not mean we, there may not be still snow. I even uh, hesitate to say that out loud, but it is spring. It's finally here after one of the worst winters uh, on record. Um, I, you can feel Kansas City sort of coming back to life. I don't know if that's been true for you, but uh, with this time of year, sort of spring season is one of my favorite sports times of the year. So there's the the Masters is around the corner. Opening day is almost here. And of course, March Madness is in full swing, which for most people, I'm looking at Nathan, you're excited as a Buckeye, but really most everybody else in here, we should just stop talking about March Madness right now. Uh, it's okay. Um, I, I got into the spirit a little early this year, so Kansas City hosts the Big 12 tournament uh, every year, and uh, so I, I got to go, so many of you already know that, because for one night, uh, I was a TV star. I got, my phone was blowing up with screenshots 
of, uh, of me. Like, literally, I am almost that close to Bill Self. It's crazy. I, I scored some front row seats, uh, which was wonderful. I'm not giddy because of Kansas winning that game. I just hope that's clear to everyone. Uh, actually, here's a screenshot. That's the one that Beth put on Facebook. This is a screenshot that Katie sent to me. She said, smile. This is in the middle of the K-State game. Uh, that's me not, that is not the best version of myself. But now it's football season, so here we go. We're excited about K-State football. Anyway, it was, a, it was an awesome time. I love it. I love basketball. I love uh, watching basketball live. Uh, and it's a fun event for a city that really, really loves college basketball. I mean, it's pretty unique here in Kansas City how much of a following there is for college basketball. And I've got a point. I'm not just bragging. This is not just an opportunity to share uh, the seats I scored. There's actually a strong connection between the Big 12 tournament, between a, a really well-run event, basketball tournament, and Genesis 1. And it's not even really a stretch. How's that for a teaser? I'm going to leave it right there, and we're going to move on. I'm going to connect the dots as we go. But if you've, if you've been with us, or maybe you haven't, maybe you're, you're new, it's your first time, or you missed the last couple of weeks, we've been in the book of Genesis, this ancient Hebrew text that really lays out for us I mean, how, why, why we're here, why God has made this good world, and it has so much to say about his design for life, about how he intended life to be lived in this world. If you, if you haven't heard those first three messages, I'd go back to the podcast. I encourage you to listen to those. But as a quick sort of recap, in week one, we reflected on Genesis 1-1, the fact that in the beginning, God, like full stop. In the beginning, there was God and only God, and he created the heavens and the earth with words. He spoke this place into existence, this powerful, purposeful, personal God has fashioned the cosmos out of nothing but words. It's an incredible thing to reflect on, the first verse of the Bible. Two weeks ago, we learned that it's all good. It's all tov. Over and over again, there's this refrain, God said, and it was so, and it was good. God said, and it was so, and it was good. He's made this world that he look, when he looks out over it, it pleases him. It's a pleasing world because he made it that way. He made it to be good. And then we, you and I, humans, we are the crown jewel of that creation. That's what we talked about last week, that God saved his best for last. On day six, he fashions humanity literally in his own image, in his likeness, with dignity and, and intrinsic worth and value that we could, we could never earn, we can never lose, even, even as we've rebelled against God, we still are image bearers. We're, Tim talked about, we're little miniature idols, right? We, we have been made in his image. We are his mas the masterpiece of this amazing world that he has made. And verse 31 sort of concludes this work week by saying this, and God saw everything he made, and behold, it was very good. He delights and what he's made. In fact, it's like he steps back to admire his work and says, it's pretty good. Pretty impressed with myself, right? Just like we do when, we, when we're proud of something we've made, that's, that's God's posture towards his world. He is the first and best worker. If there's anything that we can see that is true from Genesis 1, is that God is this, he's a worker and he's good at it. 
we talk a lot here at Christ Community about your work and how it matters. Our work intrinsically has value because we are made in the image of a God who is a good worker and his work, he delights in it. And then as we get to the end of this chapter, we, we find in, in a remarkable way, he gives us a job. He turns to humans and says, now this is what I want you to do. I've made you, I've made you in my image. You're worthy. Not, this isn't to earn anything before me. Just for the sheer fun of it, right? Because I'm a worker and it's good to work, I'm going to give you a job to do. Now, if you were God and you made a perfect world, right, this, we're not to Genesis 3 yet. The, the place is perfect and humanity is the crown jewel. If you were him, what would your first in instructions be to humans, to us? What would you say? I mean, if, if it were me, I'd probably say, don't touch it, <laughs> right? Be, be careful. Don't, some of you know I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. This probably would be my posture. But what does God say? I mean, how did, what, is he, what are his, his instructions to humanity in relationship to the world that he's made? Or God looks at his work, and he doesn't say, don't screw it up. God looks at his creation, and he says to us, to you and to me, join me. Come, come with me. Let's make, make it better. Join me in making this world a place of, of flourishing. All that I've made, the mountains, the trees, the oceans, the dogs, the llamas, the babies, all of it, this, this place of life and vitality and flourishing, he invites us to join him in that work. Well, just let that sink in. This is where we are at the end of chapter one. God's made this, this perfect world, and he turns to humanity and says, Come with me. And there are two primary pictures of that sort of joint work with God. I want to draw out this morning, anchor it in Genesis 1, 28. I'm going to, we're going to get there in a second. I want to actually read Genesis 1, 28 again, make a few observations, and then we will we'll talk about these two pictures of what it means to work with God. So here, Genesis 1, 28 again. It goes like this. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. If you're, if you're familiar with Genesis 1, this is a, it's a fairly common text. We, we, we're familiar with this command to be fruitful and multiply, but notice, don't miss the fact that God blesses them. Actually, blessing is going to be a theme throughout Genesis. It's a big, it's a big part of this, the way that Moses has written this book. It's this declaration of favor and prosperity and life that comes from God. That's the idea of blessing in Genesis. But he blesses them and then he gives them instructions. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth which stands to reason. He gives these instructions that are sort of rooted in this blessing, this privilege of being able to produce life that comes from him. It's a gift from him. That's what, I mean, we, none of us can produce life outside of God breathing it into his world. But he also says more. 
Because right, those, those first three instructions, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Actually, the blessing first. All of those are, if you peek up to verse 22, God's already said all of that to the animals. He, said, he blesses them. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. We share that. God then repeats those to humanity, but he says more. There's five commands in 28, verse 28. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it and have dominion over it. Rule over it. Those last two instructions, are, they're unique to us, to humanity. God says those only to us, to subdue the earth, rule over it. And actually, in, in the next chapter, in verse 15, it's said another way. This job description summary is, is there in chapter 2, verse 15, where he says, the author says this, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So subdue the earth, have dominion over it, work it, keep it. God's gracious instructions to, to join him in his creative work. And there's two pictures that I want to sort of highlight that are rooted in those verbs. And these unique instructions to us. So God says we're to join him as gardeners and as stewards. So that's where we're going to spend all of our time this morning. Those two those two very tactile, hopefully tangible pictures of the way we are to relate to God's world is as gardeners and as stewards. So first, we join God's work as gardeners, which is not a stretch by any, uh, at all. I mean, was, this is all setting, the setting here is a garden, the Garden of Eden. And the, our first home is sort of set in these Terms, but here I want to actually root this picture in this the Hebrew word that is translated subdue. It's the word kabash. It's translated other places in the text as sort of bringing into submission, or or like a path that's been trampled on, uh, or even bringing into bondage. There's this element of control. It can be an ugly word if it's you, if the object of kaboshing is other humans. It's actually used that way all throughout. The, the Hebrew text, but here and in other places when it's talked about in terms of the land or earth and its resources, the meaning is simply to bring creation under control, to harness it like you would an animal that you're using to work a field or a, a, a dog that you would take on a walk. Like you, put, you, you harness it so you can control it. That's the picture. Now, we can get this wrong. In fact, we, we have gotten this wrong, not surprisingly. We go to sort of unhealthy extremes in our relationship. Like when we try to kibosh the world, we get this wrong in some extreme ways. On the one end of the spectrum, we can exploit God's good world, the, the natural resources he's given us for our own gain. In fact, this text has been the grounds for a view of the earth that is very human-centric without any regard for the inherent goodness of the land that's been given to us or without any regard to how it can benefit others. So we, we only look at God's good world and we exploit it for our own gain. That's one end of the spectrum. But we can also go to the other end of the spectrum, which is this very human nature of us to sort of want to go to one pole or the other. We can also exalt God's world and sort of put it in this place of worship. So instead of a human-centric view of the world, we have this sort of biocentric 
view of the world that views it as this pristine piece of art that we cannot touch. Don't mess with it. Right? God's world has been made, and we want to leave it that way. And I think both ends of these, the spectrum, as is, again, usually the case, it miss, misses the point of God's instruction to us, his intention for our relationship with his world. And that's where I think the picture of a gardener is helpful. Now, I'm a terrible gardener. Uh, do not give us plants as gifts. That will go poorly at the Campbell home. Uh, I've, I've planted some grass seed. Uh, that's, had, uh, that's been a mixed bag. But anyway, I understand the idea of, of what good gardening entails, right? You have this piece of ground that you start with, and sometimes it's, all, it's ready. It's ready to plant, but most of the time that's not true, right? You have to do a lot. You have to get in there and do some work. You have to tent, till the soil, weed it, right? prepare it for whatever it is you're going to do, whether it's a flower bed or a vegetable garden, or like I did this weekend, trying to get ready for some, some grass in my front yard. Whatever it is, you're preparing for the seed. You know, there are life-giving qualities in the earthy materials, but they need a little work to get ready for growth. But then you sow the seed and you tend it, or right? you water it, or you weed it, or you just you take care, you make sure the environment is conducive for healthy growth. And ultimately, when harvest comes, you enjoy the benefits of good gardening. Not, not rocket science. I still don't know why we can't do it, but it's, I'm over it. Uh, so you, you, you may end up with this bouquet of flowers that you can give to a loved one, or these fresh herbs that you can put in your favorite recipe, or a lush lawn that you can play in and entertain and enjoy. Right? You understand there are amazing benefits to good gardening that you can't enjoy unless you harness the potential of the earth's kind of goodness that's, in, that's already wrapped up in it. And if we have creation in its rightful place, we understand its purpose, we can kibosh the earth in the way God meant for us to. We can enjoy nature and we can mine it for its benefits at the same time. It's there. It's at our fingertips for creativity, for for productivity, for enjoyment. Many of you have been, you've been to the new coffee shop just down the road uh, here in Shawnee, Cafe Equinox. It's a wonderful place. Their tagline is caffeine and chlorophyll. I think it's brilliant. If you haven't been, it's a coffee shop in a, in a nursery. And actually, until this last week, they had all their tables and stuff set up in the greenhouse. It was like a little retreat space in the middle of an awful winter to go get some vitamin D and some really good coffee. And it's, it wasn't just, though, this kind of place, I mean, this is what the doctor ordered for me several times this winter, but it's actually a really cool intersection of exactly what we're talking about right here. So there, there's this place where there's a real care and concern for God's good world, for nature, for the beauty and inherent goodness of plant life right? And the examples, the benefits of mining that world with technology and skill that, that makes this amazing drink, many may, might argue the pinnacle of man's productivity and creativity in the world, coffee, good coffee, right? That helps us. It gets us going in the morning. It connects us with others, right? There's this place, an intersection, actually to top it off, there's also economic 
development. That's been a real blessing in Shawnee. I don't know if you've tried to go on a Saturday morning. You're going to wait in line for 45 minutes. The place is booming. So it's caffeine and chlorophyll and commerce. That's Genesis 128. That's the idea. Subdue the earth and rule over it. How? By making good coffee and thriving businesses and caring communities. We have been instructed to improve upon God's creation. Make it better. That's what he says. Subdue the earth. Create, derive beauty. Be productive with what I've given you. Do you see yourself interacting with God's world like that? In this way, like a gardener that's eager to cultivate, to develop, to enhance, to produce, not not for your own benefit, benefit, but really for the good of others. Now, of course, you, you don't have to be a gardener or a farmer or a coffee roaster to do this, right? To live this out. In fact, all of our, our Monday callings, whatever it is you're called to, on a week-to-week basis, all of that should be shaped by this perspective because this is God's design for us. He says to all of us, we've all been wired to subdue the earth. So a congregant uh, shared this with me this last week. He works as an engineer. He shared with me what he has taken. He's called the engineer's oath. Uh, Here's an excerpt. I think it powerfully connects the instructions in 128 with a a vocation that many of you share. So it reads like this, engineers have made usable nature's vast resources of material and energy for humanity's benefit. Engineers have vitalized and turned to practical use the principles of science and the means of technology. As an engineer, I pledge to practice integrity and fair dealing, tolerance and respect, and to uphold devotion to the standards and the dignities of my profession, conscious always that my skill carries with it the obligation to serve humanity by making the best use of earth's precious wealth. (laughs) I love it. When we pass this along, he actually sort of bemoaned the humanistic undertones throughout it, which he's not wrong. The the capitalizations sort of tell an interesting story about who's ultimate as you read through that. It's not exactly Genesis 1, but you can hear the echoes of God's design in that pledge, right? The goodness and richness of God's world, ready to be harnessed and vitalized. I love that word, vitalized, like giving life to, just like this divine blessing that God says he blesses us to be able to produce life, not just in making babies, but making this world better, harnessing its potential for the good of others. You can hear in there sort of the dignity and skill and humanity's prized place in the created order. So many points of resonance, if you know where to look for them. I came across another song that hopefully will help, continue to help giving you imagination for those points of resonance in your life, whatever your vocation is, whatever you're called to, whether it's a relationship or a job, or whatever the season of life is, it's a song by uh, a group called Porter's Gate. It's called Day by Day that highlights various vocations and the ways they sort of garden in the world. So hear this and, and try to connect even to your own 
station in life. Server, you remind us of our Savior's bowl and towel. Teacher, you are raising up a child to be kind. Lawyer, give us hope that justice one day will surround us. Farmer, you're working for a table full of bounty. Painter, with each color you're teaching us to see. Nurse, yours are the healing hands that touch the poor and broken. Carpenter, you frame a house for those who need protection. Laborer, you lift a heavy burden for the weak. Leaders, build a city that all children may rejoice in. Big 12, create a basketball tournament in Kansas City that when done the right way, showcases skill and builds community and celebrates teamwork. I told you I'd try. To, I, try. I think it fits. Right? You can work for the Big 12 and say, I'm a gardener in God's good world. You can put on a tournament in downtown Kansas City and that be good work. Right? There's, that's the picture here. Subdue the earth, no matter what it is that you're called to. That's the picture. I hope you can gain an imagination for the ways that you can join God in this creative work. Your Monday was made for gardening. Whether you're feeding toddlers or volunteering in a neighborhood or preparing taxes or doing dishes, we can join God as gardeners. That's the first picture. Okay, second, we also relate to God's world as stewards. As stewards. So remember, the commands, the instructions, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. Have dominion over it. So there's this picture of cultivation and harnessing in a garden. There's also this idea of reigning and ruling over a kingdom. Actually, scholars point out the language in Genesis 2 specifically of of the garden and the way it's described with the jewels and the rivers and this, this vivid imagery. It's describing a kind of temple. In fact, it is, Eden is the precursor to the tabernacle, the temple that God's people would build when they get to the promised land. This, the universe, is depicted in Genesis 1 and 2 as the first temple. It's a place of beauty and goodness and resources. Yes, that is true. It's also a place of glory and worship. God's dwelling place as king. So when God makes humanity, we talked about this last week, in his image, it means he makes the task that's typically reserved for kings, for rulers. He makes that the task of every human being. Remember, we are are image bearers. We are little idols of God. That's why he says, don't make any other idols. Why? I've already made them. It's you. So don't create, don't try to make anything after me. I've already done that. It's you. You are called to rule and reign in my place in this world. Now, of course, he is still the king, right? (laughs) The universe is still his. This place is not ours. But then he he creates us and tells us to rule over as representatives of, of himself in a place that we do not own. He makes us stewards. Now, we often use this word when we talk about money. It's sort of, sort of like in church circles, especially stewardship is a, like a 
another way of talking about giving or managing our resources when it comes to money. But really, it applies here. It's true of all resources, including the natural resources given to us in Genesis 1. And you see, a steward, we understand it sort of traditionally, historically, it's an official who's appointed by a king or a ruling party to represent them in a country with with a mandate to govern in their name. So when God says that we bear his image, part of that role is to rule for him in a place that is not ours. So when we lived in Chicago, we had some friends that uh, invited me to house sit for a week. They were going out of town. They asked me to come over. Uh, They had a dog that needed to be fed and walked and plants that needed to be watered. They had known uh, at that time. Worked out, I think. Uh, they had a home that basically, you know, as it goes, when you house it, you just go and care for the home. You protect it, watch over it. And before they left, they made every task very clear, right? Written out instructions, dog walks this many times a day, this many scoops at this time, right? Uh, keys, codes, all of that. They also gave me the Wi-Fi password, um, showed me the espresso machine, uh, where the where the wine, the good wine was, they pointed me to the the Tempur-Pedic king size bed that was mine for the week. Right, uh, it was awesome. I got paid to live in a place that was way better than ours uh, that I didn't have to pay for. I didn't own it. But here's the here's the distinction: Did they did they ask me into their home, or when you've had someone house sit, do you ask them into your home so that they can drink your wine and have a good night of sleep? Not really. I mean, there's a side benefit. I was a steward for the week. It was not my home, but I was called in there to to, uh, rule in their place. It's not my home. Even though I made myself very comfortable, uh, I wasn't there for my benefit, even though I enjoyed it immensely. It was both this, it was this mixture of responsibility and privilege. And so it is with, with our relationship to God's world. When he calls us to join him in his work as stewards, we do so in a place that we do not own. He is still the king. He reigns over this world. And it's a place where what he wants done is always what matters the most. We are stewards reigning for him, not for ourselves. That's our purpose. And it's really, it's where the the engineer's oath or so many of our kind of vocational or recreational pursuits, our daily habits, just our general perspective of this world is where we miss it. We misunderstand, we forget whose world this actually is. It's not ours to use or abuse however we want, to consume. Now, verse 29 is no less true, this beautiful description of the fact that all of All of the natural resources are there at our disposal. He's been generous to us, giving us life and food and everything we could need for enjoyment, for pleasure. It's there for us. The only thing we can't do, which as as a spoiler, if you're reading ahead, we have done this. The only thing we can't do is try to take his place as God, as king, as owner, that's the, one of the only ways that that house-sitting assignment could have gone terribly wrong is if upon their return, I said, no, sorry, I've, I've got it now. <laughs> this is my place. This is not the way it works. 
We're stewards of this place, not owners. But the reason we've made such a mess of this world is we've tried to make it our own. Or maybe to say it more specifically, we've tried to define what is good. This is what we'll get to in Genesis 3 in a little bit. Define what is good for ourselves apart from him. As if he no longer knows what's best for us. And we've, we've done some incredible things. Humanity has accomplished some amazing you know, medical advancements, technological advancements that a generation ago would have been unthinkable. There are moments where you think that our quality of life should be through the roof, but in spite of all the good we've done in this world, and we really have made some good things, we've still made a mess of this place. We've used and abused the natural resources, our planet. We've used and abused one another for selfish reasons, not as gardeners and stewards, but but really as consumers and rebels. There's a big difference between cultivating and consuming, between ruling and rebelling, as we understand from Genesis 3, that we are often most concerned really about ourselves, as if we're put here, we're put here for the the wine cellar and the fast Wi-Fi. Instead of here to work with God and care for his world as stewards. See, Eden was, the garden was was meant to be extended into the whole world. People serving God in worship in the stewardship and gardening of his, of his good world. That's what we were made to do, extend Eden into all of creation. Instead, we cut God out. We thought we could do it on our own. We tried to take his place. And now this world, the universe, all of creation, Romans 8 tells us, groans for redemption. To be restored in relationship to God's good design. Now, if you keep reading in Romans 8, you know there's good news, right? God has made a way. He has made a way to reverse the curse from Genesis 3 that we brought on by our rebellion. By, he's made a way by actually taking our place. You know, we have ruined this world by trying to stand in his. And so he comes. He enters in to the world he made as a, as a human, the perfect human. He shows us the way to best image God in this world, the perfect way to cultivate and rule. He came to us and is making all things new again by standing in our place, bearing our shame, undoing evil and death itself by his death in our spot. And one day, all of creation will it will be put back the way it was intended. Not as, a, not as a garden, but actually as a city. Which if we understand this right, subduing the earth and ruling over it, that makes perfect sense. This world is not being put together back again as a garden, but it's actually being cultivated and subdued and it produced into a city, this glorious city where there's, there's no need for sun and moon and stars. God himself is the light in this new place. I want to read 
that text, Revelation 21, where it's described the whole world is Eden, this temple of God. John says this, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. That's what we're looking ahead to, friends. Even as now, this afternoon, as you go into whatever it is you have in front of you, as a gardener, as a steward, as someone who, for whom God had come and, and actually take your place because we've made a mess of this, that's our future. God looks at his world and says, join me in bringing my kingdom here just like that. Here on earth, now join me as gardeners and stewards. Let's pray. God, we actually confess that we, we have made a mess of this world and often only think of the ways that we have sinned against each other or those relationships that are amongst ourselves, but we, we fail often. We fail to, to even reflect on how we have, we have not treated your world the way that you intended for us to, not perfectly. So we confess that, and God, strengthen us, empower us to be gardeners and stewards, to cultivate and rule in a way that's lined up with your design for us, for the good of others, in worship to you, and with with a hope that is anchored in your future promises of this place being perfect once again. God, thanks for the hope. Uh, This morning we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.